Well, last week I stated to you uh, how I am not in a hurry uh, as we continue our verse-by-verse study through the book of Romans. And uh, today I'm going to set myself back just a little bit more. <laughs> Dave, I might be four years when I finish this book. We're going we're gonna to see what happens. But just as a reminder, two weeks ago, um, I spent a majority of our time in chapter 1, verse 18, focusing on the first four words, which are the wrath of God. And I did so because I believe there's always been this deficiency in the church, and uh, especially in understanding that particular attribute, the wrath of God. And then last week I finished verses 18 through 20, which focused on how mankind in its wickedness suppresses the truth of God. Now, even though man does this in a, as a general response to God's truth, Paul's focus here in Romans chapter 1 was on creation. Okay? I'll just read a couple of those verses, verses 19 and 20. Verse 18 talked about the wrath of God and how uh, it came upon those who suppressed the truth. And here's why. Verse 19, it says, Because what may be known about God is plain to them, because God made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made or what has been created. So he says that men are without excuse. And so why God's wrath? Because God made the truth of himself plain to them through creation. But, he says, they suppressed it. They kicked it to the curb. He says they did that. They suppressed it by their wickedness. As you know, folks, it shouldn't be a surprise. Men love darkness, don't they? Men love darkness rather than light. Man loves darkness rather than truth. Man loves their way, their beliefs, their opinions more than anything God can say. Even though God himself or God revealed himself through all his creation. We remember it in Psalm 19, right? The heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens declare it, God says. And here he shows it through his creation. Yet man today would rather believe in this this weird theory of chaos. Somehow unintelligent matter that just was there, nobody created it, somehow came together and after billions of years is now more highly complex into human intelligence. They would rather believe that then believe that God Almighty created it all. You see, folks, because when you deny God, you deny a moral standard, and then there is no accountability, which is what man wants. There's no God, there's no standards. I do what I want, see. But the Lord says, yes, there is accountability, to the point where he said there, man is without excuse. God says, I have shown the world who I am, that I am the creator from everything that I've done, everything that's been made by me. 
You are without excuse. Don't ever think you're going to stand before me and say, I didn't know. Yeah, you did. You did. Well, as we were going through this uh, last week, folks, um, one of the cross-references that I used was Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. And this is, uh, this is such a great passage for many reasons, but specifically uh, because, once again, Colossians 1, 16 mentions not only God's creation, but also its sustainability. Okay? Therefore, I thought, you know what? I'm going to hang on for one more week and deal with God's creation. And, and, and if anything, folks, I just want to affirm this. Um, I want to implant this into our minds, what so many people deny. You, in reality, I wouldn't think I'd have to do that because I know everybody here, I know you all go to this church, you know we teach the, God's word, we know we hold to scripture. But so many people deny this today. So many Christians deny the truths of creation. I just feel like I just want to implant this within our minds of what Scripture teaches and not just take it for granted that, oh, you guys are smarter than that. We live in a time when even so-called Christian circles, this very truth is rejected. It's hard to believe, isn't it? God created everything that's being rejected many times in Christian circles today. I mean, full, full chapters in Scripture, even the first few in Genesis are, 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 are out there, and they're set aside as nothing more than allegory. It's just a story being told. So with your Bibles open to Colossians 1, I'm going to read verses 15 through 17, and, and, I, and I hope you see three things here. That Jesus, number one, that Jesus is not just some religious leader in history. Number two, the universe did not happen by some explosion. Unless you joke like I say and say, well, God said it and bang, it happened. That was the only explosion there was. And then thirdly, that God is still involved in his creation. Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 15, it says... He, and that's speaking of Christ, if you look back at the previous verses, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Now, even though our focus this morning is going to be mostly on verses 16 and 17, I'm going to include verse 15, okay? Because it's one of the most, in my opinion, it's one of the most important scriptures in the Bible, and the reason I say that is because it speaks of the very person and the very nature of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, folks, this is the very foundation of which the church rests upon. If Jesus Christ isn't who he said he was, then you might as well just pack your spiritual bags because your hope for eternity is invalid. Otherwise, anybody named Jesus is good, and that's not true. 
As I have stated before, who Jesus Christ is is not up for grabs. Who Jesus Christ is, folks, is not a debatable issue. This is not something that Christians can, can simply have a good discussion on, walk away, and agree to disagree. Some things that's true, but not the person of Christ. And therefore, it's extremely important that we do have a clear understanding of our Lord and that we never shy away from not only who he is, but what he has done. And yes, even creation. If the Bible starts in Genesis chapter 1 as a fairy tale, why should I believe the rest? Well, as far as fabricating truth, this is exactly what was happening right here in the little book of Colossians. People who were known for professing the truth had infiltrated this little church in Colossae, and basically they had fed them a pack of lies that even went as far as to say that Jesus was not who he claimed to be. Matter of fact, they say that Jesus was created, that Jesus was a created being. He's nothing more than a teacher. And was certainly, ha, he was not the son of God, is what they would tell the church. And therefore, to set the church straight, okay, to tell them the truth because they have now heard a pack of lies, Paul begins here in chapter 1, verse 15, and speaking of Jesus, he says, he is the image of the invisible God, number one. Number two, and he is firstborn over all creation. Over all creation, he says. So with Paul making the point in this verse that God is invisible, which we know is true, right? John 4, 24, God is spirit right? Understand now that the word image, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. We know then that the word image is not talking about physicality, is it? No, it's not saying the Father or the Son looks like the Father. It has nothing to do with that because it's not physical. So it must go beyond that. And so what it really means is talking about his likeness. It's talking about his representation when he is the image of the invisible God. It's his representation, it's his likeness. Paul was saying that Jesus in his very nature, remember it's not what he looks like, in his very nature, his very essence, he is God. Once again, denying what the heretics have taught. It's like Paul says, oh no, he is the image, he is the nature, he is the essence of almighty God. The writer in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 essentially is saying the same thing. He says that the sun, he calls him the sun there, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation, those are important words, the exact representation of his being. See? And folks, they're all simply restating what Jesus said himself, right? John 14, 9 you guys know this. Jesus said, if you have seen me, what? You have seen the Father. Once again, Jesus wasn't talking about physicality. He didn't say, I look like dear old dad. Because God the Father has no body. He's non-corporeal. He's a spirit. 
So if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He's not talking about what I look like. It's what's inside. It's his nature. It's who he is. See? Listen, people, that kind of stuff had to be set straight in the first century, and it still needs to be set straight today, believe it or not, sadly as it is. We cannot hold back from boldly stating that Jesus was not just some prophet. He was, he was not just some Jewish teacher. He was definitely not the spirit brother of Lucifer, as the Mormons would say. He's not Michael the archangel, as the Jehovah's Witnesses would say. But he is God wrapped in human flesh. Do we get that? He's God wrapped in human flesh. Jesus, before he was born, didn't have physicality either. But he came into this world as God, as a baby. Secondly, verse 15, as God, not only was he not created, he was called the firstborn. That's one word, by the way, not firstborn. One word. He's called the firstborn, listen, over all creation. Man, those are really important words. He's the firstborn over everything created. So no, he was not born first. Okay? No, he is not God's highest creation, which is what some of these teachers, false teachers, would say. Looking at the Greek word, and also if you look at how the Jews would understand the word, it simply means highest in rank. The word firstborn, it means highest in rank. It means the highest position, meaning he's supreme. He is over all, which makes sense when he's combating them saying, oh, no, Jesus is just a, he just, he's just created by God. No, he's actually the supreme. He's over all, which is why he says he's the firstborn over all creation. He's not one of them. He's over everything created, is what he's saying. Now, based on what verse 16 is going to say, that's going to make perfect sense. Because what does he say in verse 16? After he says he's the firstborn of all creation, he's highest in rank, highest in authority, he says, because, listen, by him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones, powers, rulers, or authority, all things were created by him and for him. So how can Jesus be called the image of God? How is it that he can be considered the highest in rank to hold the most highest exalted position above literally all? It says right here, because he is the author, he is the designer, he is the creator of the heavens and the earth. <laughs> hey, buddy, how are you? And so to cast doubt on these false teachers who would say that Jesus himself was a created being, Paul tells these Colossians two times in this one verse all things. He says it twice. All things were created by him. There's no misunderstanding that. Not some things, not a few things, all things. And he says it twice. 
Folks, that's a clear-cut statement that says unless Jesus could create himself, he was not created, he was the creator. And listen, folks, this is not just something that was espoused by the Apostle Paul. It's not just something Paul said to get back at the false teachers in Colossae. In the Gospel of John, in chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. I mean, that's pretty clear, isn't it? Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2, it says that God appointed the Son, His Son, to be heir of all things. And then it says, and through Him made the universe. God the Father says, through the Son, the universe was created. So even, folks, outside of the book of Colossians, Scripture is clear. Jesus Christ, as God was the creator of all things. Now, some people might say, well, hold on a second, Darren. Um, doesn't the Bible say in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth? And my response to that is, exactly. Exactly. We just mentioned in verse 15 there, in Colossians chapter 1, we just mentioned in verse 15 that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, I said it a minute ago, he is the exact representation of his being. And you know what, folks? This should be apparent to every single one of us that he is the creator. We just looked at it last week, didn't we? We did in Romans chapter 1. What does it say? It says, for since the creation of the world, since the day that God spoke the universe into existence, it says God's invisible qualities have been clearly seen, made known, being understood from what has been made. Saying it, it's all out there, he says. Once I created, he says, since the beginning of the world, once I spoke the universe into existence, it's clear as day to everyone, he says, that I am the creator. It's being understood by what has been made. As I mentioned earlier, it's the same message in Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare, the heavens shout out God's glory. Heavens declare the glory of the God, and it says the skies proclaim his handiwork. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Not a, not a great boom, not a big bang, not primordial slime, which all the stuff that we hear today. Folks, the universe bears witness of the tremendous wisdom and knowledge of its creator. It's revealed. It's there to see. Many scientists speak of something that's not a word that we use all the time, but they think of this term called the anthropic principle. 
which states, by the way, that the universe appears to be carefully designed for mankind. The anthropic principle is the universe sure seems to be created for mankind. That's kind of how we would say that today. Donald DeYoung, in his, in his book, Designed by Nature, The Anthropic Principle, he says, a chance in the rate of the Earth's rotation around the sun, I'm sorry, a change, a change in the rate of Earth's rotation around the sun or on its axis would be catastrophic. If you remember last week, I mentioned there's two things, right? Remember the Earth spins on its axis, I believe, at 1,000 miles an hour? It also spins this way, right? It goes around the sun, kind of in, in an oval. He says here, if any of that would change at any little bit, it would be catastrophic. The earth would either become too hot or too cold to support life. If the moon was much nearer to the earth, huge tides would inundate the continents. A change in the composition of the gases that make up our atmosphere would be fatal to life itself. A slight change in the mass of a proton, that's kind of tiny, a slight change in the mass of a proton would result in the dissolution of hydrogen atoms. And the result, he says, would be the destruction of the universe because hydrogen is its dominant element. Folks, creation has um, what I would call a speechless testimony, a silent testimony to the intelligence of its creator. Can you imagine? It, it would take like a billion things that would have to happen by chance. If the earth, which just hangs in space, would move just a little bit, we're done in. Max Planck, he's a winner of the Nobel Prize for Physics um, back in 1918. He says, there is evidence of an intelligent order of the universe to which both man and nature are subservient. There is evidence of an intelligent order of the universe which we are subservient to. MacArthur just boldly states, the testimony of nature to its creator is so clear that it is only through willful unbelief that man can reject it. Hence, going back to Romans chapter 1, the wrath of God falls on mankind because he reveals himself through nature to the point that man is without excuse. And man just flat out clearly rejects it in their wickedness, it says. It just has to be because of willful unbelief. I don't want to believe that. And notice right here in verse 16, Paul says two times that he created all things. Two times. That's the Greek word there, to planta. It literally just means that. It means everything. Okay? All things, it just means everything. It's, 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 it speaks of the whole of the universe. It denotes totality is what that word means. Okay? So it's pretty clear that in saying Jesus created all things in this text, that's exactly what it means. It means all things. That's why it says he's above all things. He's over all things. See? 
Now, I don't have time this morning uh, to get into uh, why the focus is on all things and why Paul broke it down even further. You probably noticed that in the verse, Paul says he created all things and then he broke it down even further, right? He says things in heaven, things on earth, visible, invisible, thrones, powers. I mean, he just kept breaking it down. I don't have time to get into that this morning, um, but it has to do with the false teachers. It has to do with responding to their beliefs, okay? Um, If you do want more detail, by the way, uh, about 12 years ago, I preached on, it's hard to believe it's been 12 years, about 12 years ago, I spoke on Colossians, okay? Um, And at that time, I did each one of these verses as one sermon, so Verse 15 was a sermon. Verse 16 was a sermon. So if you want to go back and get a little more detail, go back online, go to our website, and just go to it. Dave's put them all up there. You can hear that if you choose to do so. But, but, but with their, the false teachers, with their distorted views, what they have done is they've tried to degrade Jesus Christ. Okay? And this is why we have verses in Scripture. This is why we're told in places like Ephesians 1.21, Jesus, he says, is far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in this present age, but also in the age to come. Man, those statements are so important that he is above and far beyond all rule, all authority, all power, all dominion. I mean, it doesn't get much clearer than that. And so Paul is trying to be as clear as possibly here to the church in Colossae that they must have an understanding of the supremacy of Christ. And when that takes place, you will have no qualms with him being the creator of the universe. If you dumb him down, if you believe what the false teachers have said, you're going to come up with some gobbledygook. But when you truly understand the person of Christ, you can grasp the fact that he spoke the universe, and it was. Staying with this thought, the Bible, as you know, opens. The Bible begins with a monumental statement, doesn't it? Most of us know that. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. With that statement, the Bible, the word of God, affirms the existence of the universe and everything in it as the product of his creative act. Do you understand that? It's really a powerful statement, okay? We're shown here in the very first verse of Scripture that evolution, which is the dominant theory in science, it's just simply not true. It was God himself who spoke it into existence. And it just was, because that's the power of Almighty God. And that being said, Paul tells us here in verse 17 as we move forward, that he wasn't done just yet. Look at verse 17. He says, he, meaning Christ, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. I'll say it again. Did you notice in this verse as well, in verse 17, that that term all things comes to play again? 
Just like in verse 16, where he mentioned it two times, he says it again two more times in verse 17, right? Seven times, folks, from verse 15 through verse 20, he brings this up to push the fact that Jesus Christ was not just some amazing guy who was above some things or created most things. He wasn't just over a majority of things. And he, he, he wasn't supreme over several things. Paul will not stop until we all know that there is no one greater than the Lord Jesus Christ. Which is why it's explained clearly here. All things, above all, supreme over all, created all. There's nothing above him. Folks, by this, the, the two points that he's mentioned here should be a no-brainer. Number one, it says he is before all things. Obviously, all things is dealing with uh, in respect to time, right? Based on verse 16, where it says all things were created by him, it stands to reason that he is before all things, isn't it? He had to pre-exist before creation if he himself was the creator. All this is coming to play into these Colossians who have been listening to a false teacher. They're going, okay, I'm getting this now. See. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, Genesis says. But in that beginning, right, when he spoke it into existence, John 1.1 says Jesus already existed. Okay? You guys know John 1.1, right? In the beginning was the Word, the Word was God, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But notice the fact that in the beginning was the Word. In the beginning, when it was spoken into existence, Jesus already was. Do you see what I'm saying? The Word in that passage, Jesus, He already was. He already existed. He was there. Now, in case that's somehow swirling around in your mind right now, he's saying that Jesus is eternal. Jesus has eternality. He's always been, folks. He came into this world as a baby so he could die. But he was always the second person of the triune Godhead eternally existing. He was the Son of God. He never had a beginning. Which is why Paul says right here, as creator of all things... He is before all things. He's not one of them, like these people would say. He is before and supreme over all things. Now, continuing this thought, this, this, this stance that Paul is taking on who Christ is, first, Paul says, he is God. Then he says, he is creator. Therefore, as we just said, he is eternal. And now, looking at the second half of verse 17, it says, And in him all things hold together. All things hold together. 
So if Jesus Christ is the creator, the eternal God who made the heavens and the earth, it only stands to reason, folks, that he is also the one who sustains that very creation. He didn't speak it into existence and walk away going, well, I hope it works out well. I hope the earth does stay on its axis. I hope gravity continues to work. I hope the sun shines. I hope it doesn't fry anybody. Right? Never happened, did it? He created it. He also sustains it, he says. Through Christ, it came to be, and through Christ, it continues to exist. The second half of Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, I read the first half earlier, which says the sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. He then says, same verse, sustaining all things by his powerful word. He says the Son of God sustains all things by his powerful word. So he sustains it, or as this translation says, he upholds it. You can say he maintains the very things he created. Sadly, today, with more and more so-called religious people turning away from the Genesis chapter 1 account of creation, a literal six-day God-ordained creation, it's not too far-fetched for them to see this, uh, have the same reaction here when you read the book of Colossians. For those who are uh, trying to accommodate science, and sadly, even people like William Lane Craig, who used to be what we would call a, a great apologist, but even he now is, 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 is talking about science over God's word. But with people doing this, they're, 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 for lack of better terms, falling away, going by the wayside as far as understanding and believing the truth that's laid out in Scripture. Now, for those of us who have a Christian worldview, who have a biblical worldview, our beliefs are always based on Scripture. There is no room for chance. There is no room for fake science. All things are held together by Him, He says. And by the way, that starts with Genesis chapter 1 as the foundation. If you don't believe me, which you should, but if you don't, uh, go to Answers in Genesis. Many of you know about that. Many of us went to the conference, Truth Matters. Uh, they do a great, great job on this issue. And uh, go to Answers in Genesis. There's much more information there that I can certainly give you today. But that is certainly the foundation right there. Now, getting back to the sustaining hand of Christ, in his book, The Adam Speaks, A-T-O-M, The Adam Speaks, D. Lee Chestnut describes this puzzle of why the nucleus of the atom holds together. Listen closely. He says, consider the dilemma of the nuclear physicist when he finally looks in utter amazement at the pattern that he has now been drawn of the nucleus, the, the oxygen nucleus. He stands there and amazed. For there are eight positively charged protons closely associated together within the confines of a tiny little nucleus. When there are eight, with them are eight neutrons, 
a total of 16 particles. Eight are positively charged. Eight don't have any charge at all. Earlier physicists had discovered that like charges of electricity and like charges of magnetic poles repel each other. And unlike charges or magnetic poles attract each other. Remember when you're a kid, you ever take a, a, um, a magnet and you know, do this and you couldn't get it together? You know, do this and you could, remember that? Same concept, in a simpler form, obviously. The entire history, he says, of electrical phenomena and electrical equipment has been built on these principles known as Coulomb's law of electrostatic force and the law of magnetism. Key, it's a law. It's not a theory, it's a law. What's wrong, he says? What holds the nucleus together? Why doesn't it just fly apart? The law says that protons and neutrons should not be able to live side by side in the nucleus of an atom because their charges repel each other. That's the law. Chestnut goes on to, to describe the experiments that were performed in the 20s and 30s. And he proved that Coulomb's law applied to atomic nuclei. Are you still with me, by the way? He says powerful atom smashers were used to fire protons into the nuclei of an atom. Those experiments also gave scientists an understanding of this incredible, powerful force, <coughs> God, that held these protons together within the nucleus. Did you catch that? They're wondering, but there's this incredibly powerful force somehow that's holding these protons within the nucleus. Scientists have dubbed the force the strong nuclear force. They're not very good at names, are they? We've dubbed this strong nuclear force strong nuclear force. Once again, think of God. But we have no explanation of how it exists. It's a strong nuclear force, but it, it, it just keeps doing it. It keeps holding it together. We have no idea why. The physicist George Gamow, one of the founders of the Big Bang Theory, he wrote, he said, the fact that we live in a world in which practically every object is a potential nuclear explosive without being blown to bits is due to the extreme difficulties that attend the starting of a nuclear reaction. Carl Darrow, a physicist at Bell Laboratories, he agrees with that, and he says, you, do you grasp, he says, what this implies? It implies that all the massive nuclei have no right to be alive at all. Indeed, they should never have been created, and if created, they should have blown up instantly. Yet here they are. Some inflexible inhibition is holding them relentlessly together. The nature of the inhibition is also a secret, one thus far reserved by nature for herself. I know that was a lot to say there, but they have no idea what this is. You have conflicting laws within a very atom itself and the scientific community has no answer for it at all. It doesn't make sense. The laws of science basically say duck and cover because the baby's going to blow. 
That's the law. That's what it says. You know, if you're doing sciences, a science experiment for school and you did just that, you'd say, don't do that. You will die. You'll blow up the block. <laughs> don't do that. Stick with creating a little volcano or something. But to use the words of verse 17, something holds it together. Nobody seems to know the answer. Why doesn't it instantly blow up? That's what the law says. Well, it's funny how the answer is right in front of us. Verse 17, God holds it all together. God didn't just create it. It continues. He sustains it. All things hold together by him. Every time these people would say things like, uh, this incredible, powerful force, this strong nuclear force, this uh, inflexible inhibition, they don't want to say, maybe God, but no, they don't. They just, they just stand here and say, I'm in awe. I don't know what is going on. Why, it's, why is it that? Why isn't it blowing to bits? And we can sit here and we can say, because God holds everything together. He is, if you will, the nuclear glue. He is why the sun is where it stands and continues to do what it does. He is why we don't spin off our axis. He is why the earth just, just is there suspended in space. And it weighs, remember I told you last year, like five some odd septillion, 566 septillion tons, and it just, but it suspends itself in space. Why doesn't one of the planets move a little bit? Why doesn't the sun say, I need to cool off a little bit and then freeze us to death? Why do we just continue to go as we do? Because God, through Christ, holds it all together. He creates it. He's created it all. The mountains don't just fall and crush the cities. The earth and everything else doesn't just fly off its axis. Because God spoke it, and he still has it under his control. I close with a quote from a man named Athanasius. You may have heard of his name. He's a 4th century bishop of Alexandria, Egypt. He simply says, He, the all-powerful, the all-holy word of God, spreads his power over all things everywhere, enlightening things seen and unseen holding and binding all things together in himself. Nothing is left empty of his presence, but to all things and through all, severely and collectively, he is the giver and the sustainer of life. He, the wisdom of God, holds the universe in tune together. He it is who, binding all with each and ordering all things by his will and pleasure, produces the perfect unity of nature and the harmonious reign of law. While he abides unremoved forever with the Father, yet he moves all things by his own appointment according to the Father's will. Folks, we go back to um, Romans 1. Romans 1 is so applicable to today, 2,000 years after it was written, that people see the glory of the heavens and the earth. And God says, if, if, 
if you don't see me through that, if you continue to stifle me, you have no excuse. There will be no excuse before me because the heavens that I created declare my glory, the work of my hands. And yet today, it's even worse with more technology. It's so obvious of what God Almighty does to the point that even scientists have no understanding. They have no excuse. And they continue to dumb down the truth of God's word. And sadly, many, many Christians follow that. I've seen brilliant PhD Christians sit there on a panel and go, well, science says this. I'm young at the TV set, which I'm known to do. What does the Bible say? You're taking that guy over what the word of God says? You interpret what he says through scripture, not vice versa. But because of stuff like that, folks, we have so many people, and this is why I kind of wanted to finish this thought, which we kind of started last week. Um, there are so many people now in Christians who begin to just deny God's hand in creation, God's sustaining hand even today. It's mind-boggling as you see what goes on in, in Christianity today. Well, people continue to deny, down to essentials. I mean, eventually, the belief in Christianity will believe in whatever you want it to be. Just create your own. But if you cannot start with Genesis chapter 1, you've got a problem. Why am I to believe anything if I believe the very first thing God wrote is a lie or it's just a story, it's a fairy tale? Therefore, it's important to me today to affirm this, to instill it within our minds, the hand of God that created the universe. I don't care about what people say. Well, this is the God particle. Well, it's a particle God created. We'll give him that, right? Well, the stuff they continue to say that people just believe. And because the word science is used so much in our culture today, that tends to be uh, that's the standard. Whenever, whenever somebody says the science, that's the standard. Whenever, remember, whenever Fauci said the science says, well, well, hey, well, we can't doubt that, right? But it, it carries over to our understanding of what God said in his word. Never doubt the scriptures, folks. Never shy away from them. Never believe. I don't care what if the guy has 15 PhDs. If it contradicts the word of God, on anything, but certainly upon the fact of creation, toss it aside. If every person on this planet is against you, that's okay. You stand firm on the word of God that he created it. He spoke it into the universe, into existence, and he alone sustains it today. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful that we can look to your word. We're grateful, Lord, that we can hold to it. Lord, so many people, even in the Christian community, have uh, failed you in this aspect. They have caved into society, culture, what the world calls science, as if that is, there is no standard higher than that. God, help us to, uh, as much as the world goes against us, as much as the world flies in our face with its beliefs, its opinions, everything that opposes you, Christ, and your word, Lord, help us to stand firm. Help us to know that nothing's changed in your word. What was written all those years ago is still true today. Truth is truth. 
And Lord, we believe wholly in your word, not in what somebody says. Lord, with so many people falling ill to that today, I pray for this church and I pray for everyone here that no matter what the subject matter is, Lord, that we would go to your word for truth. That is our science book. That is the truth. You yourself have written it, and we, therefore we do believe it, and we hold fast to it. Give us the strength, Lord, as we daily resist what goes on in our world, our community, what's thrown at us. I know the temptations are everywhere, but Lord, may we stand strong as a fish going against the stream for Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.